that uh, first time I went to Ireland, they sent out 10,000 announcements and 28 people came. <laughs> and uh, this time it was like, uh, it was really beautiful. We went to Galway, which is not a very big place, and about 80 people came for the whole course. And uh, they were very, very intense. And they get it now. And it's really beautiful. And uh, so they become a very strong group and they tried to kidnap us but uh we fought our way to the airport and they offered us a house near the beach which is really hard to pass out uh and before that we were in uh mongolia uh and that was also the second time that, that there had been teachings there and um the next to the largest hall in the country is the circus so we rented that and uh, about 2,000 people came every night and it was just incredible and I think about half a million people watched on TV and uh, we did the uh, Golden Light Sutra and uh, it was really really beautiful and it looks like we'll be cooperating with Lama Sopa's uh, group to have a center there and uh, keep keep things going. Thomas Olson came with us to uh, acquaint himself with the country and he's going to be coordinating people to go over and help teach English and Dharma. They're dying for American Dharma teachers like you guys. And uh, so Thomas came over and we worked together for a week and then he was supposed to stay another week and come back, but he's still there because uh, <laughs> he loved it so much, and they love him. And uh, we asked people to write to a box number if they're interested in a small Dharma discussion group, and 500 people have written letters. So, so a lot of surface people are there and they're helping, and we're going to try to accommodate 500 people. Uh, just before that, we were in uh, Arizona. Yeah, we did a short retreat in Arizona. Uh, we wanted to test drive the car uh, before we bought it. And uh, so I guess about six or seven of us did a, a retreat there. Uh, we were expecting yurts to come from Mongolia, but they didn't get there. And so we were in tents. And uh, it was really beautiful. And I, uh, I've, I've never had a better meditation in my adult life than there. And, you know, that was just amazing. And I've always wondered if I could get back to how I used to meditate when I was 20. And it was like that. And it was just really, really good. So uh, then Ellie, Pelma, and uh, Amber stayed for another three weeks, two weeks. And uh, they just got back last night also. And they had a really beautiful retreat. Uh, before that, we were in Tucson, and we did... Uh, they kind of kidnapped us and talked us into doing Tara, uh, the 21 praises of Tara. And so uh, we found a very beautiful commentary and retranslated uh, it in the car in California. And uh, it was really beautiful. And a nice group of people came. And uh, then before that, we were in uh, Northern California and uh, did uh, business talks to the Silicon Valley people business and dharma and then I forget what the course was Lojong <laughs> and we did Lojong at LMB I guess about 120-30 people came 
175? Okay. And, uh, and then uh, before that, Bajapani, we did the purification, how to get rid of your old bad karma. And that was really nice. And about a hundred and... Uh, somebody donated about 175 purification kits, which is like a little bag with your... Uh, a thing to do a fire in and, and sesame. Or the, and uh, ghee and matches and a little piece of paper to write your bad deeds on before you throw them in. And, and it was a beautiful little bag they made with a drawstring and a beautiful pictures on them from the uh, St. Petersburg collections. And it was really beautiful. And before that, we were uh, Indiana. That guy. Uh, <laughs> no, his holiness taught for about 10 days. And, and it was just really incredible. I think for me the nice thing was I know that those people don't have any money and I also know that they uh, didn't have the place ready. But by the time we got there, there was a tent for 5,000 people. Uh, it was beautifully air-conditioned. Uh, His Holiness taught really incredibly for 10 days and it was just beautiful. Uh, we met a lot of Seremi monks there and also in California. And before that, we were in Central Park with you guys. So uh, I asked Thelma if she would, uh, she showed me her photographs this morning, and they were so pretty, uh, and she looked so pretty when she was there, that I, I thought uh, it'd be nice if she described her retreat a little bit, just for fun, okay? And then we'll start the, the real class. Are you ready? Okay. This has not been rehearsed or anything. Uh, and just people were coming up and giving us, you know, 
one guy came, that I never met came up and gave us a hundred dollars a month for three years and and like that and uh, they're all excited about it. Most people are also excited about uh, the idea of a retirement community there, like a, a spiritual retirement community, and uh, a lot of people are are coming and asking about that. Um, and the idea is that Winston Winston will be moving out there soon after the class, and uh, one of our other sponsors has already purchased a another parcel of property there with a house and he's offered to use that house for people who come out and uh, need a place to stay until they get their place together and then we shipped uh, yurts from Mongolia uh, they they were supposed to be there by the time we were there but they didn't make it uh, because they did, the Federal Express people didn't know where St. David, Arizona was <laughs> and the Mongolians thought it was a major city and, uh, <laughs> and it has about a hundred people in it, you see. And, uh, and so uh, they're shipping it to San Diego. And uh, I think my mom's driving them over to Benson. So, uh, so that, but it's really, really beautiful. And it'll be, it'll be really nice. It'll be really good. So the first parcel is a hundred acres. And uh, it looks really, really nice. And uh, the meditation is intense. So, I mean, even if you just get out there... Uh, part of the year in the next year. I think it'll be really great. Just one thing to mention, we changed the... Uh, we, had, we had thought to do uh, teachings there in June and December, and we changed it to April and October, just because of the weather, because uh, I think June would be too hot for people. So uh, uh, I think uh, we'll, do it. we'll be doing it in April and October, the, uh, the teachings when I come out and teach. Okay. Um, I'd really like to congratulate John Stillwell, who's not here, I think. He's in retreat. Uh, Godspell Retreat Center was uh, irrevocably uh, signed over to MSTC uh, about a week ago. Uh, uh, we were on a three-year probation, and that ended about a week ago. And uh, we had lots of ups and downs, lots of excitement with the town. Uh, we do now have uh, tax exemption from the town. And also uh, we have uh, cut a deal with the local land trust that we've put a permanent uh, environmental protection on the whole property so that uh, half the property will always be left in its natural condition like forests and ponds and uh, and we, we've agreed uh, to create a green belt through the whole property so that uh, the cabins will always have be surrounded with, uh, with forest and uh, meadows. And, and even if the board changes or the people change, it can't be revoked. Uh, so that'll be, always be like that. And uh, now you guys have to build some cabins there and stuff like that. All right? uh, I see Gusto as short-term retreats like uh, up to a month and then I see uh, Arizona as the uh, you know where you go for the serious retreats alright and uh, we'll talk more about that later we have to get on to a class the, we're covering in this series of classes uh, the last five courses of the ACI curriculum uh, so it's courses 11 through 15 um, 11 and 12 were the second two-thirds of the Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life. 
and then 13 was uh, unlucky number for logic <laughs> and uh, 14 was Lojo uh, and 15 was very difficult uh, on the mind only schools so you're going to get uh, in this final course this is the last of the 18 courses uh, it's been seven years okay and uh, you'll be getting those, a review of those courses. Um, I believe we have three people qualified, if they pass this course, to, uh, to do their baby geshe at the end. Uh, Sarah May Montessori has offered to give them a geshe degree. I said, I don't know. Uh, some kind of, they've offered to make some kind of a, a degree for you guys, but I, I said we just got to talk about it. After we examine them, we'll find out. Okay. Uh, but it's traditional that uh, even after you finish all the work, at the last minute, uh, everyone gets to take a shot at you. So uh, I see that they would take a final, uh, final, final, uh, sometime around the end of the year, and then in February, early February, I'd like to have a on the Tibetan New Year's Eve, which is very auspicious to have a final uh, examination of them publicly. Uh, which is like you get to, each person gets to pick a question out of the hat from the finals that you already memorized. And uh, if you don't know it, your friends yell from the back. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's not a big deal. And then on, uh, just after midnight on the New Year's, uh, the most auspicious day of the year, you get your, you know, your hat and your degree and everything like that. So I thought it would be cool to do it here. And then the next morning to do vows, uh, and the next afternoon to do bodhisattva vows and things like that. So, sort of uh, planning it like that. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm trying to talk loud. Um, and there's lots of people around the world who want uh, teachers to come. Okay? We've had invitations from Singapore, uh, Hong Kong, South Africa, uh, Holland, uh, England, uh, another one from Ireland, uh, Mongolians want five or six of you, uh, and all over the world, uh, many, Hawaii, and many people asking us to send people, many people in South America. So uh, my dream is that we, you know, send out clones. Uh, to all these places. So that's not been the point of the seven-year course, and we're, I think we're close to the fruition of it. You see me? Uh, but before that, you have to get through this. Okay. We're going to be studying uh, Chinjuk. Okay, a person who has dedicated their whole life to the service of other people. All right, and juk uh, in Yiddish means roach, but in Tibetan—that's what they used to call me in the diamond. Uh, in Tibetan, it means to 
to get into or to engage in. So we'll be, this is the guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life. And that's the book we'll be covering for the first four classes. Okay. We'll be studying a commentary by Gyaltabje. Gyalse means means, uh, victor or victorious one and uh, it refers to enlightened beings, Buddha. Se means their sons or daughters, uh, princes or princesses. Okay. Uh, Jungok means, uh, Jungok is a difficult word, but it means the point in a river where it's the best place to ford without getting your pants too wet. Uh, it means uh, the entry point. Uh, so we could say an entry point for sons or daughters of the victors or something like that. This is, I think, the greatest commentary to the guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life. It's never been translated. Uh, Rinpoche taught it to us very kindly for over 10 years and uh, so we have all those tapes hopefully it will be made into some more books and uh, and you have a lot of it translated in this course okay so that's what you'll be studying Uh, we're going to be covering in the first two classes in course 11 we covered three of the perfections we covered uh, patience uh, effort and meditation. Okay, so we'll be talking about those uh, tonight and on Thursday. Okay, by the way, next Tuesday is Sechu, uh, so there won't be any class. Okay, uh, but Thursday there will be a class. Alright. I'm just going to go down to your homework. Uh, we taught in Northern California a thing called Topshi. Topshi means four ways of destroying your old bad karma. Like if you did something really stupid when you were young, knowing that you don't do those things anymore, uh, you can get rid of the karma. Okay, that's a special teaching, a very special skill. A fire is a very useful thing uh, to help focus your mind on how to remove that karma. And uh, the principle that you can remove old karma is often derived from the section in the Bodhisattva's way of life where it says you can wipe out your old good karma okay (laughs) like if you've worked very hard uh, over the years to collect a lot of good karma uh, you can very effectively destroy it uh, before it gives its proper result uh, through anger Okay, so anger is the ultimate method. Actually, there's two methods, but anger is the easiest one. Okay, if you want to wipe out your old good karma. All right, and, and it's on that basis that they give the teachings about wiping out old bad karma also. Okay, we'd rather wipe out the old bad karma. Okay, the main danger in anger is the object. Uh, if you get angry at a bodhisattva, 
okay? A person who has reached a very high level where they don't do anything in their whole life that's not directed at getting people to enlightenment, okay? They are constantly, uh, ever since the day that they got bodhicitta, getting bodhicitta is this big, difficult step. But once you get there, then everything you ever do after that, every moment of your life, and you know it from the moment you get bodhicitta, that you will be only uh, dedicating all your efforts to helping other people learn Dharma, uh, helping them get enlightened, things like that, okay? So, who around us is a bodhisattva, you know? What do you look like when you reach bodhicitta, when you have that experience of uh, direct when you have that direct experience that you will be spending the rest of your life, lives uh, helping other people all the time, constantly, all day, all night, okay? When you get that state, does your face change? Or do you get an aura or anything like halo or something like that? No, you don't, okay? And so really you don't know who around you is a bodhisattva. Okay, that was one of the first questions I ever asked Rinpoche when I went to study with him. I'm 21 years old or something. We're sitting in the kitchen, which at that time was all the space we had. And, uh, and I asked him, how do you know who's a bodhisattva? And he says, you don't. You know, and uh, so it's dangerous. The point is that it's dangerous. It's better not to be angry at anybody, okay? Because you don't know who's a bodhisattva. If you get angry at a bodhisattva, destroy thousands of good karmas, okay? Uh, the next question on your homework, <coughs> on your homework, <coughs> is, uh, the, hang on a second, <coughs> it's a very famous quotation from uh, Bodhisattva Charavatara. I had to sit there and cut down these famous quotations to like, 14 questions on the homework instead of 50. Like, Aura wouldn't let me give you 50 questions, okay? Uh, she kept saying on the plane, cut it, cut it. You know, I'm like, I can't cut Master Shantideva. Uh, anyway, this one is, Kyalte Chosu Yunani Dela Miga Chishi Yu. Kyalte Chosu Menani Dela Miga Che Chipe. You should memorize it, okay? I think a lot of students have. This is uh, the idea that uh, when you're studying the perfection of patience, which I prefer to call the art of not getting angry, when the time comes to get angry, which I did about half an hour ago, so it's very easy to talk about, uh, there's a certain uh, sequence of events that happens, okay? And if you know it, uh, you have a little bit more time to stop it, okay? Uh, anger is always preceded by being upset. Okay, so there's a state that comes just before anger, which is called being upset, alright? And there's a state just before being upset called getting off balance or losing your joy, okay? So, it goes like this. Somebody says something, like maybe they praise somebody you don't like, and then you get a slight bit off balance. Your mind goes a little bit off off keel, right? Like you're on a steady keel for about an hour and then somebody says something to you and it takes your mind, I don't know, maybe it takes your mind four or five seconds to evaluate what they said and really understand what they said and they're saying something nice about someone you don't like and it just kind of tilts you 
one way. It like rocks the boat a little bit. Uh, that's called uh, getting off balance. Okay. Then comes trupa, uh, means getting upset. Okay. It means you have about I don't know. It must be about four or five seconds to reflect on how off balance you're getting and, and to start uh, not like what the person said, you see what I mean? So you go from being off balance to getting upset and then directly from getting upset you get angry, you see what I mean? If you're lucky you can have kunzin after that. Kunzin means holding the anger for minutes or hours or weeks, okay? And that's, uh, that doesn't even come in the Bodhisattva time. that's in other teachings, okay? So you've got four steps here, you've got, well actually it's five, somebody says something, it throws you off balance, you get enough off balance to get upset, and then you get angry. The point is to intercept anger when you're upset, okay? As you start to get upset, to realize that you're upset. This gives you about a five second head start on anger. And I'm not kidding, okay? The other uh, perfections take years of effort, weeks of contemplation, uh, meditation, uh, application. The perfection of patience is you either succeed or you fail within five seconds or ten seconds. That's about all the time you have. You know, this perfection is practiced throughout the day on a few occasions and you only have about 10 seconds maximum to either do it or don't do it, okay? Uh, and then you're practicing it in retrospect. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have said that, you know what I mean? Okay, so this verse is uh, the first two lines say and His Holiness loves to quote these verses. If there's something you can do about a situation then why get upset? Just do it, okay? If there's something you can do about something you don't like, why get upset? Just do it, fix it, okay? And you know what the other two lines are, okay? If there's nothing you can do about it, why shouldn't you get upset? You know, just chill out, okay? A Master Shanti David says, stay like a bump on a log. Just freeze, you know, try to chill out, okay? If you can do something, do it, there's no reason to get upset. If you can't do anything, you won't be able to do it, so why get upset, okay? Very famous uh, quotation. If you can avoid getting upset, you won't get to anger, okay? It's the concentric theory of morality, right? You know. Somebody in, uh, where was I? Somebody in Ireland came and uh, asked me how, he said, we can't see the we can't see the overhead projector on the tapes and you keep talking about the concentric circle theory of morality, right? People flew in from England, Italy, uh, who's the other people? Germany? Axel came? That was cool. Uh, but it's like this, here's the anger, which you want to avoid at all costs because you might lose like a few years of good deeds, okay? In 10 seconds or so of true anger. And then over here is uh, getting upset. And then out here is uh, getting off balance. And the trick is, oh, and I wanted to show you one more. This is uh, losing your joy. And the concentric circle theory of, of morality, which I was taught uh, 
two months after I started studying Buddhism in Dharamsala, okay, by a very beautiful monk, Dobum Tuku Rinpoche. He said, uh, you know, if you never lose your joy, if you never break through this circle, you'll never get off balance. If you never get off balance, you'll never get upset. If you never get upset, you'll never get angry. So try not to lose your joy. You know, all throughout the day, try to remain in a state of like, pretty happy about what's going on. Okay? Like that. And then you'll never get off balance, you'll never get upset. The, the breaking of the mind from here to here takes about 10 seconds. You only have about 10 seconds to react. If you're aware of these two steps here, or these three steps, you give yourself a little more time. You have a little more time. And if this sounds like military strategy, it is. Okay? They're trying to steal your good karma out of your mind stream. Uh, it's a frontal assault on your good karma. And they can break through in 10 seconds. Okay? And there is no enemy like anger. The scriptures all say that, you know? Uh, AIDS, uh, atomic bombs, uh, the Russians or the Chinese, they're nothing compared to what anger can do to your mind and your karma. You see, people who attack you physically can't hurt your karma. Uh, anger can wipe out your happiness for weeks or months, okay? And you'll never know it. You'll just be more miserable for the next few months, okay? So you have about 10 seconds to do something. And if you know the, if you know the danger signs, if you feel the enemy crossing this line, you have to push him back before he gets to this line. You see what I mean? Yeah. Debbie said, how does it, it doesn't seem just, or it doesn't seem reasonable that, you know, five minutes of anger should wipe out a week's worth of virtue or something like that. And scriptures say much more actually, okay? Uh, and there's a debate about it in the scriptures. But uh, the, po the point is with the object, okay? When we say that anger wipes out so much good karma, it's primarily that... Uh, the power of the object towards whom you're getting angry, okay? At least this person is a living being, uh, probably a human, uh, someone who has the tantric plumbing to get enlightened in one lifetime, okay? Very holy object. Uh, and at worst, this person is a bodhisattva or even a, a tantric deity in disguise, and, and you are... It's, it's mainly the power of the object, you see what I mean? It's because of the power of the object. Okay, that's all. But if you're doing virtue towards, say, that same person? Uh, she said, what if you're doing virtue towards the same person? <laughs> if your virtues had the intensity of your anger, that would be all right. You see what I mean? <laughs> and I'm, I'm speaking quite frankly. I've been keeping my book. You know, we were cleaning out my room today. I'm like dying in March, so I'm like throwing everything out, you know. And uh, I found a book from 1986. You know, and they were pretty primitive then. Uh, but uh, I've, you know, I've been keeping a book for 13 years or something, and uh, in there, I still notice, like even recently in the last few weeks, uh, quite consciously aware that my virtues 
are few and weak and that my bad deeds are like plentiful and, and have intensity. And I'm not being uh, self-effacing. I'm, I'm quite frank about it. You know, your bad deeds have tremendous uh, commitment and tremendous, your heart is in it. And then uh, your good deeds, I mean, it's hard to find them sometimes. You know, you sit there with the pen, you know, chewing it, uh, trying to think of something. You know what I mean? And uh, by the way, I don't mean that you should get depressed. You should be happy that you found one. You see, I mean, because the odds of, you know, millions of years of training in selfishness and self-cherishing, you're probably, you know, you should be proud if you've done one good thing all day. Uh, because that's much more than you used to do. You see what I mean? And, and that's all. The intensity of our bad deeds is quite, uh, nat they're quite natural. They're quite uh, heartfelt. They're quite... Uh, intense and then the the good deeds are the result of much intellectual effort talking yourself into doing this good thing uh, not being able to get out of it you know what I mean uh, it's, that's the way we are that's our nature okay I should go on or we won't uh, catch me in the break catch me in the break okay um, there's a big argument uh, Master Shantideva says uh, the the degree of your patience, your capacity for patience is a mental decision. You see what I mean? It's not something that depends on outside circumstances. Uh, he's trying to say that you can't whine about not being able to be patient just because your situation is worse than other people's, okay? Or, or that someone has irritated you twice as much as reasonable. You see what I mean? And, and you can't say that, okay, maybe I could be patient if I only had one person in my life like this, but I have ten of them, you know, or maybe I could be patient if they, uh, if they just said something to me, but they hit me and they take my things and they break, you know what I mean? And, and, and he says that's not logical to respond that way. It's not logical to say, that's the last straw. You know, like, like up to then I can take it, but you always push me a little bit further. You know what I mean? He says it's a decision uh, how far you can go. It's just a, a mental limit. It's not a physical limit. There's nothing like how many bad words can you take? 93 but not 94, you see what I mean? Uh, and how much pain can you take from this other person before you let go? He says you can always hold it more. And he gives the example of uh, people, boxers, you know, like, and he says certain boxers or, or certain people, I saw this in biology class in high school, uh, we had to prick our fingers. I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't prick my own finger. Finally, I had my friend do it, and he was like, wham, no problem. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and then he says, people, but like, there's certain kinds of like boxers or certain kinds of swordmen or something. They see their own blood, they go wild. They get inspired. You see what I mean? Like, they see their own blood on their hand or something, and they just get, they go wild. They get even more inspired to fight. So he says, really, if you think about it, it's not a physical limit that you have. You see, I mean, it's not like, oh, you could take that much pain, but not that much pain. You see, I mean, it, and the proof of that is that some personalities faint when they see a, a prick of blood on their finger. And then some personalities, you know, they get a big gash in a fight, and they just go, they turn into wild men, and then they just get, their courage doubles, you see what I mean? So he says it's not a, the limit is not something 
physical, this is mental. It's a decision. And you can learn to be the wild guy. Okay? Alright. My favorite part, or, or the big revelation I had when I taught course number 11, was uh, in the chapter on patience is to me the most beautiful piece of Buddhist scripture I've ever seen. And, and I teach it over and over. In Mongolia we did it over and over again. Um, they're being invaded by, uh, like, how should I say? like missionaries, okay, who, who are trying to teach them about this idea that there's a God and uh, God is, uh, has these powers to make people or not to make people or, or to make people get hurt or to make them not get hurt or he gets mad sometimes, he's happy sometimes and they're, they're trying to introduce this very forcefully and, and with a lot of funding uh, into Mongolia. Uh, and and so we talked about it, and not in a, not in a divisive way, because I think, uh, I think the foundation of those teachings is very pure and very powerful and very correct. Uh, it doesn't take a genius to see that the Ten Commandments and the Ten Virtues are just about the same. Uh, but this idea that, that someone... How did your problems come to you? You see what I mean? Where do your problems come from? And to me, the, this chapter in, in Shantideva was mind-blowing. You know what I mean? He brought up the idea of three choices to, uh, from where your problems come from. You see, he's not talking about worldview. What's he talking about? What chapter are we in? Patience. You see what I mean? And suddenly, he's explaining the whole fabric of reality. You know what I mean? Very Shantideva. You see? He's supposed to be talking about not getting irritated. And here he's off on, where did your world come from? You see what I mean? And to me it was just mind-blowing. Three choices. You can boil it down to three choices. Okay? Tso, uh, Doc, and Lei. Okay? And we talked about them. What's Tso? Tso is an idea that was current about, uh, I don't know, 1200 years ago in India and somebody said uh, everything comes from uh, this big uh, event, you see what I mean? This big force called Tho. And you, 1200 years later they're calling it Big Bang Theory, okay? Everything is random, okay? There was an explosion a zillion years ago. Uh, and think about the, the implications of this. You see, you, don't, you never think about it. You never worry about it, actually. Uh, the Big Bang Theory means that uh, an explosion took place for no reason at all, where there hadn't been any explosions before, and then uh, little particles started flying around, and they hit each other uh, countless, for countless years almost, until finally they hit each other in just the right way to make your nose. Okay? And I'm not kidding. And each person's nose. And it's just random. I mean, the, the implication of Big Bang Theory is that there was an explosion off uh, in neighborhood X and uh, certain particles banged into each other and that's why uh, reptiles crawled out of the ocean and you're standing here. Okay? No, really, that, it's exactly that. Okay? And that's theory number one. Uh, 
meaning there's no rhyme or rhythm to the universe. Okay? There's no reason, there's no sense, it's, it's, there's no justice, things just happen. Okay? And, and this room and each person in it is just a big accident. That's choice number one. People believed in it 1200 years ago, people believe in it now. Okay? Uh, second choice was Doc. Doc means uh, big guy. The big guy theory, instead of the big bang theory, okay? And he's got a white beard, and he's got white hair, and, uh, and he made the world, okay? Uh, and he makes all things in the world, the good and the bad, and he has a choice not to make bad, but he does make bad, but he's totally compassionate. And he also gives AIDS, cancer, and burns children in cars, okay? And, and, and there's this guy like that, okay? Who made the guy? Nobody made the guy. He just was there. He, he happened, okay? So in both theories called Thor and Doc, which have their equivalents in the scientific world and, and in some religious uh, ideas in the West, in both theories, something just happened from nothing, okay? First there wasn't a big guy, and then there was a big guy. But there wasn't a big guy's father to make a big guy. He just happened, okay? And there was this explosion from nothing. You see what I mean? And that was the first thing that happened. That was the Big Bang. You know, I used to make a joke in the class. I remember we were in the Quaker house, and there's this guy from... Uh, the scientist in the room, and, and I used to joke that there should have been a, a second Big Bang before the first Big Bang to make the first Big Bang. And then he brought in the New York Times. Confirmation. Scientists proposed second Big Bang before uh, first Big Bang. You know what I mean? Which you have to, because nothing happens from nothing. It's impossible, okay? You can't have a thing that doesn't happen from anything. When Master Shanti Day was trying to get rid of the dock idea 1,200 years ago, he was like, well, who made this big guy? Well, did he make his finger first and then his finger made the rest of him? Or, or how does that work? You see what I mean? And it just doesn't make sense. You see what I mean? If he made everything, did he make himself? Well, I guess. So he was there before he made himself. Oh, well, I don't know. You know, faith. You know, so... Forget it, okay? Uh, he doesn't buy Thor, he doesn't buy Doc. Are we trying to embarrass all the other religions around? No, okay? Why are we talking about this? You're going to die, and you're getting old, and you get in car accidents, and you get in traffic jams, and you meet, most, and the worst thing, you meet people you don't like, okay? Now, is that just random? Or is there some big guy who's sadistic, who's putting them in your way? Or, or did something else create all the bad things that you meet in your life? Okay? And Master Sati Deva, he's bringing this up in the context of patience. You see what I mean? The key to overcoming your negative emotions and the worst one of all, anger, is to find out where all these schmucks coming from. You see what I mean? And then if you could just take care of that, you know, there wouldn't have to be much patience. Okay? That's all. And, and so really your main interest, there's two approaches to patience, you know. One, be patient and continue to be patient with all the stupid people and all the stupid things that happen to you year after year after year after year. Okay? Second approach is figure out who's producing them and blow up the factory. You see what I mean? Figure out where they're coming from 
and, and turn the faucet off at the stop, you know, my toilet over flu, flu today, flowed. And uh, I was on the floor of the bathroom with this sponge for like 20 minutes. You know, people were banging on the door. I got to use the bathroom. I said, not yet. And, uh, and you can either take care of it there or, you know, if five minutes before I had taken care of the source. You say, I mean, I wouldn't have to be on the floor for 20 minutes. You say, I mean, so you got to take care of the source. You have to go, where are the bad things in your life coming from? And then just remove them, and you don't have to be patient anymore. You see, I mean, there's this idea that Buddhism is designed to make people peaceful and happy and contented while all this crap happens around them for 70 years. You know what I mean? And then they die. Uh, and, and then there's theory number two, which is just, you know, four noble truths that you hear. Turn it off. You know, at the source. Figure out the source of the problems and turn it off. Okay? And, and what Master Shanti David comes down to is so profound that it will go over your head. You won't get it. Okay? But here it is. Uh, and it, you know, I think as you get older, wiser, you do more retreats, you know, you, you get this, one day it just goes off in your head. And it's very simple. Things come from causes which are similar. You don't get bad things happening from nice things. Bad things have to happen from bad things. Good things have to happen from good things. In Ireland, we kept saying, Jesus said, thorns never come from... You don't get grapes from thorns or figs from thistles or something like that. Okay? And... Uh, we said this 50 times with the Irish, and they got it, you know. Why did Jesus say that? It's, it's very, very profound. Master Shanti Deva would have applauded. You know what I mean? You don't get bad events from just randomly, and you don't get them from some big sadistic guy who's trying to hurt the ants. You see what I mean? They come from something bad. They came before. That's the two principles. Something happened before, and something bad happened before, and that's why something bad is happening to you now. Okay? And that's karma. And that's all. You did something to hurt someone else, and therefore you're meeting this person. You must understand this, or you will never, ever be able to have patience. You see what I mean? You must get to the source and understand where events are coming from in your life, or it's hopeless. Okay? You will just be a master coper, coping with all the bad things that come to you, you know? And Master Shanti Deva says, hey, just turn them off, and then you don't have to worry about being patient or not being patient. You see what I mean? You gotta go to the source. Which means, the next time someone yells at you, you look at them, and you understand, I'm seeing this because I, because a seed in my subconscious had just come up to my conscious mind and a person which other people in this room may find very normal I happen to find very irritating and that's only because of my perceptions of them and that's only because of some seed for perception that I planted in my mind when I was irritating at someone else in the past period then patience is a no-brainer 
do you want to see this person again? Do you want them to keep haunting you? Do you want them to keep following you through your life? Well then yell back at them. Get angry at them. Because that's the only karma which will create them in the future. Like it's the A number one stupidest thing you can do. It's the only thing you can do to get them to come back. And what's the human reaction? What's the normal reaction? Is to yell. So Master Shantideva is not just taking pot shots at other religions of 12, sorry, 750 AD Central India. You know, he's not just picking on other religions. He's trying to say, if you don't understand where your world comes from, you will never be a perfectly patient person. You'll never overcome anger. Until you admit that it's you who created this irritating person, and act on that basis by not responding to them in the same way again, you'll never get out of this vicious cycle. You'll keep... Vicious cycle, how do you say it in Sanskrit? Samsara. Okay? That's why samsara is called samsara. That's why korwa is called korwa in Tibetan. Vicious cycle. The things you do to get away from the people you don't like are what bring more new bad people in your life. Okay? And until you understand that patience it doesn't help to be patient. I don't think you can be patient. Okay? Alright. Mm. There's a lot of questions here about back and forth, but you'll get that. Mm. I think... Uh, hmm. We do one more. There's a, Master Shantideva talks about a chain of events when someone hurts you. And he says, suppose somebody comes at you with a stick and hits you with a stick. Uh, and he gives you three choices. Who should you be angry at? Uh, the stick, the person, or their anger? What do you think? <laughs> she said, no, that's a good question. That's a good answer, actually. Anyway, the, the thing you should be upset about, is, or the thing you should dislike, or the thing you should struggle against, is not so much the stick, right? I mean, the argument is that the stick was not under its own control. You see what I mean? Like, if somebody came up and hit you with a stick, and then ran away, you wouldn't jump on the stick and yell at it. You know, oh, you're such a bad stick, you know, I hate you. You know, you would... Uh, you try to go after the person, right? Nobody sits there and hits the stick with a hammer and says, ah, now I got you, you know. Uh, they go after the person who ran away. And Master Shantideva says, by that logic, you should go after anger. Because the guy is helpless in the hands of anger. He's like the stick in the hands of the guy. You see what I mean? It's not like the stick decided to hurt you. It's the guy who decided to hurt you. But it's not even the guy who decided to hurt you, it's the guy's anger who decided to hurt you. So go after the anger. And by the way, he says, when he finishes, he says, anger is, is generic. You know, you don't have to go down uh, to the, what do you call it? Alphabet City to find anger. You know, you can find it where? <laughs> he says, you might as well go after the closest one which is the one that you have, you know what I mean? So you don't even worry about the other guy, you see? The same logic by which you don't jump on a stick and try to get revenge on the stick, 
because it's under the control of the guy. But the guy is out of control too. The guy is under the control of his anger. And uh, since you have lots of anger close at hand that you can fight against, go after your own anger. Okay? That would be the most efficient way of stopping anger. Yeah? How exactly do you go after your own anger? Uh, starving. Sorry? Starving. He needs to feed on getting upset. You see what I mean? He lives off you getting upset. And getting upset feeds off of going off balance. Slightly off balance. Okay? They say starve him to death and enjoy it. You see what I mean? Don't feed him. Don't give him any fuel. He's like a fire. He needs oxygen. He needs wood. You see what I mean? And you starve him. You just refuse to give him upset and refuse to give him off balance. That's, that's one way. The ultimate weapon against anger is to understand where bad things come from. You must confront this question sooner or later. People ask me, can I be a Christian and still be a Buddhist? Can I be Jewish and still be a Buddhist? No problem. You know, no problem at all. Except for the part about where did stuff come from. Sooner or later, you must understand that it's coming from you. That you have created these things. I don't think otherwise you can really go over the top. You know, if you continue to insist that there's this sadistic, all-powerful guy who made himself the minute before he was here. You see, I mean, you won't face up to the, to the real problem, which is that your actions are creating all the unpleasant things in your life. And I think ultimate, aside from that detail, there's no problem. You know, the Irish are becoming very good Buddhist Catholics now. And it's, no, and it's beautiful to see. They say, now I understand the Ten Commandments, you know, now I can do it, you know. And, and they're serious, and they do do it, you know. And amazing stories. I got a letter today, got to tell you. Melbourne, Australia. You talked about this miracle stuff. I just wanted to make a testament, you know. And I said, what? You know, and, and, and it says, uh, I've been practicing especially on my stinginess because I wanted to remove the seeds for my uh, lousy financial situation. And uh, so I've been purposely, with the perfection of wisdom, doing generosity, you know, with very perfect motivation and knowledge of emptiness of the three spheres, you know, which is Tessie's Chudin uh, Law's specialty, okay? But anyway, I've been giving to people and I've been giving with the right knowledge, you know? And uh, so I was digging through my husband's uh, drawers, uh, the drawers of his table. He, he died two years ago. I found all these old horse race uh, OTB uh, tickets and I sent to the OTB office. They call it something else there, TAB? Yeah. Anyway, it was like, uh, and, and are these any good anymore, you know? And they sent her a $10,000 check. <laughs> and, and, and they said, yeah, they are. <laughs> this is, uh, they were placed in 1993. You know? Uh, so she's like writing me a testimonial. Anyway, uh, it works. Deva says, you keep this stuff up, you break the vicious cycle, and then uh, you, can, you should go to all the irritating people in your life and, and shake their hand because one by one they'll start leaving you, okay? And I was in a corporate life for 16 years, in, I mean, in the office. And, 
No, and, and it started out like any other office. It was half the people were nice, half of them were bad. Actually, it's three, three and three, right? Shanti Deva says, you go into any room at all without training, before training your mind, you'll hate three of them, you'll like three of them, and you won't care about four of them. If you take the three you like and put them in a second room and go in there, after an hour you'll like one of them, you'll hate one of them. It's because it's you, it's not them, you see what I mean? And that's the way it was when I first started. By the end, all the people I didn't like had been transferred, got heart attacks, um, quit the company. You see what I mean? And, and Master Shanti Deva says, if you break the cycle and you refuse to respond with anger, and you refuse to respond with negativity, you better hurry up and say goodbye to them before they get transferred. You know what I mean? And I'm not kidding, it works. We had a thousand people in my company. And, and by the end, it was like, Beautiful, you know. I was crying when you leave, you know, and 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 I still go there just to see them. You see what I mean? Uh, it works. Okay. Uh, I'd like to stop there, take like a five ten minute break, and then we'll come back. Okay, come back quick because I think we've kind of gone on a little bit long. Okay. I think I have this thing here. Joyful effort. Okay, they say uh, sin is often translated as effort. And Ken Rinpoche is also, is, is, has always, every time he got to this line, he said, it's not effort like the guy next door who works on his car all night. Okay? <laughs> That's not effort. <laughs> it's got to be directed towards goodness. And it's to get high doing good things. Okay? It's to have a party all the time doing good things, okay? It's like someone gives you a chance to do something nice for somebody, or you have a chance to do some dharma activity, and instead of like saying, oh, I don't feel like it today, it's, it's like you get high, you know, you get a chance to do something at gusto. Oh, you want me to paint at gusto? Oh, thank you, you know? And you get all excited, you know, and like that. And uh, I think in a good dharma group, you feel this energy, like and it's a big party all the time. You know, sometimes you irritate your landlord, but uh, but it, it should be like that. You know, it should be uh, 
that everyone's just a little bit uh, giggly, like His Holiness, about the chance to do something good. You see what I mean? And, and everyone's sort of bubbly and excited about it. And, and that's what they're talking about. They're talking about that kind of energy where people in the group are just excited to do some kind of dharma. And it's not like, oh, I've got to do my book today, or, you know, it's saying to I have to do the long dakiyay, you know, or, or something like that. You know, it's like you're excited, you know. Do you know how many kinds of cheesecake we could get tonight? You see what I mean? Something like that. Okay. Like, just excited about it, all right? Okay. Sunkang gela to'o. Sunkang means, what is effort? Gela to'o means, you have a good time doing good things, all right? And you should have a good time doing it, okay? They say going to bliss with bliss, going to happiness with happiness, okay? It's a, the goal is happiness and the trip is happy, okay? Like that. It's not like this thing, okay? It's not like you have to suffer to get happy. That's a contradiction. Okay. I don't know why this comes up. Uh, it says, give the definition of innate Buddha nature, which guarantees that we will become a Buddha, and explain why it provides us a guarantee. Uh, why did that come up in effort? I don't, I don't remember. Anyway. Uh, it's the pen thing. We changed the name. It used to be Prajnaparamita. We, we changed it to the pen thing, okay? And uh, it's very simple. People all over the world know about it now. Uh, the little kid monks in Mongolia are screaming, Hosun, you know, emptiness. Uh, to a human, it looks like a pen. To a dog, it looks like something to chew on. What is it really? It's a white and red cylinder, okay? The penness, it doesn't have penness, and it doesn't have dog chew toyness, okay? It doesn't have its own nature, rangshin mepa, okay? It doesn't have rangshin ki madupa. It doesn't have any nature of its own. It's not a pen. It doesn't have penness, and it doesn't have, uh, what do you call it, chew toyness, okay? In and of itself, it's just a, red and white cylinder, okay? And that's not even in and of itself, but we'll get to that later, uh, okay? This is the same as this cylinder, okay? This cylinder and this cylinder work the same, okay? Uh, if you have a moderate amount of virtue, you see a human arm. Moderate because it's getting old and wrinkly and freckly and hairy and everything else. It's getting old, it's gonna die. Okay, if you have a not so much virtue, you see the same thing at the dog's leg. And, and I'll keep saying it, and one day it'll, it'll, you'll get it. That's what makes you a dog. Okay? One day you'll see it as a dog leg, and that means you is a dog. Okay? And you've got to get used to that. There's nothing more to a dog than seeing your, your cylinder as a dog leg. Okay? It's not that they make dog bodies and, and stuff spirits into them. Stop thinking of reincarnation that way. You'll never appreciate your chances of going to hell unless you understand how it really works. Okay? Which is that it's your perceptions forced upon you. Okay? By your past deeds. It's not that there's a pre-existing dog body out there that they're going to stuff you into. The minute you see this cylinder as a dog leg, you are a dog. 
And that's where dark bodies come from. They're just perceptions. And they're real. Because they're just perceptions. But this thing is also empty. This cylinder is... You know, in Ireland I didn't want to use emptiness. I started using neutral. It's neutral. It's not a human arm. It's not a dog leg. And it's not a Tara's body, golden white light arm. Okay? From its own side. It's just a cylinder. If you have really good karma, if you've practiced Tantra properly, you will see uh, white light forever. If you are half and half, like we all are, and you'll see a human arm that's getting old. If you really mess up in this life, you'll see more hair than there is now. Okay? And, uh, and those are your three choices. Okay? Now, what is Rangshin Neri? What is Buddha nature? You know, you read stupid or let's say less intelligent books that say uh, there's a little Buddha in your heart and you just have to uncover him. You know, or, or they say you're already a Buddha but you don't know it. Hey, but I got, this Buddha got a car accident last week. It's okay, you just didn't know that you're a Buddha. You know, forget it, it's not like that, okay? You do have a Buddha nature. What is it? The emptiness of your body and mind. That's all. The fact that this is just a cylinder is your damn good luck. Because it's not a human arm from its own side. It's not a dog leg from its own side. It's not Tara's arm from its own side. It's whatever your seeds that you planted a few months ago are making you see. You see what I mean? That's all. So it's your good luck and your bad luck. They say it's your savior and it's your destroyer. The emptiness of your body and mind. Okay? It's the opportunity, it's the potential to be anything. Because it's not anything. Got it? The potential to be anything is the fact that it's not anything. Okay? In and of itself, from its own side. You plant butter seeds in your mind, next year you won't have to be looking at those freckles. Okay? That's all. What's next? The last question, and then I'll let you go home. Uh, in Ireland, uh, we were talking about giving and the karma of being generous and the karma of giving things away, and it quickly dawned on them that you'd have to give away. The more you give away, the better it would be, and the more painful it would be. You see what I mean? Like they say, oh, if you follow that reasoning to its, uh, the end, uh, you'd have to be giving away most of your income there. And you'd say, uh, <laughs> And I say, yeah, and they say, well, that's a, that's a wee bit impossible. Uh, and we were talking about Dakshin Yanje, you know, three stages of exchanging yourself and other. First, I do the Jampa method, which is to watch Ani Pelma, see what kind of tea she likes. Does she like sugar, honey? Does she like tea or coffee? Does she like milk or does she like cream? You know, spying on people to see what they like. Second level putting your mind in their body. You're looking up at Geshe Michael wondering when he's going to shut up and let you go home. Okay? And then third level, uh, you, you wrap a rope around both of you and decide that you are now one person. I have two mouths to feed. I have four shoes to, to buy when I go to the store. I have to buy two ladies' shoes and two men's shoes for Michael. Sammy? And you just break down the distinction between you and another person. You just, you feed, you go to a restaurant, you order one plate, and you feed both of you with one fork. That's all. 
because you're one person, okay? And you get used to thinking that way. So the Irish were like, this is a problem, you know, man, because I can't feed everybody in a room. You know, if I stretch it to two people, then three people, then four people, I just won't have enough money to do it, you know? Uh, the first answer is that if you really wanted to, you could. The human mind is almost infinitely clever. You have figured out how to make sure this bag of skin got fed three days, three times a day for your whole life. You know, somehow you figured it out. You know, so eat twice a day and split it with somebody else. You see what I mean? If you really thought that she was you, she would get fed as good as you. Maybe you both have a little less, but it wouldn't be a problem at all. You, then you wouldn't have to spend so much money on the gym. You know what I mean? So, it's no big problem. It's not, uh, it's just a decision. It's just a decision that you have made. Why I bring this up is that at the end of this uh, section, Master Shanti Deva cautions his audience and he says, Listen, don't bite off more than you can chew. That's not a good Buddhist method. It doesn't work. Okay, don't go wild. And, you know, Rinpoche used to have, he'd give a lecture, I remember, in Virginia, and this lady who owned the house, who was Countess von Manen, uh, said, Rinpoche, keep the house. You know, and he said, cool it. You know, he said, uh, give me five dollars for gas, and, uh, and we'll talk later. You know, and uh, it means don't get all excited and, uh, and, and, and try to do more than you're capable of. It's a very, very bad karma to try to reverse your decision later. It's a very bad karma to say, uh, oh, uh, Rinpoche, you know that house I offered you? Uh, I was wondering if you'd settle for half of it, you know what I mean? Or, you know, to go back on it later is a very bad karma. Master Shanti Deva says, you can learn to give your house away. You can learn to reach into your eye socket, pull out your own eye, and hand it to someone. But it takes practice. He says, start with potatoes. Start with french fries. You know, he said that. He says, start with something you can do. You know what I mean? Split your french fries with somebody. And then, after a week or two, give them most of the french fries. And then, after a few more weeks, maybe let them have all the french fries. You know what I mean? Like that. And he, and he says, a, a good Buddhist should start with what you can handle. Always within your capacity. Okay? And I think uh, he also adds that, uh, you know, when I used to do sports in college, they used to tell us, push yourself a little farther each time. You see what I mean? Like, go a little bit farther each time, farther than you did the last time. Like you're working out, add five more pounds, add two more pounds, add half a pound, doesn't matter. But always do a little bit more than you did last time. And uh, it should be the same, okay? Build up gradually. Start with something that you're not going to worry about, and then gradually build it up. And he says, you will be Mother Teresa within a few years, okay? But but it has to be this gradual getting stronger and stronger. You know what I mean? You don't become Mother Teresa or Ben Johnson or Carl Ripken overnight. You know what I mean? You gotta... And if you don't start, you'll never make it either. But just start, give what you can give comfortably, 
and then the next day try to give a little more, and then the next day try to give a little more, and then build up your, your strength. He says the human mind is so clever that it can be trained to where you can reach into your eye socket and whip your own eye out and give it to somebody without any hesitation, with training. Uh, so the, the human mind is capable of that kind of training. The human mind is that clever and that strong that if you really want to, you can build up to it. But, but don't freak out at the beginning, he says, because then you'll just quit. Uh, it's like trying to do a crazy amount of exercise the first week and then uh, nothing for the next three months, like that, okay? Like build up slowly. Same principle. And then he says, you can become anyone you want. You know, Jesus' state of mind, Mother Teresa's state of mind, Buddha's state of mind. You can do it. Any human mind can do it. Uh, but you have to build up gradually. Okay. We'll do a, a prayer. I think it's kind of late, right? It was Annie Pelma who did that. Huh? Yeah. It wasn't me. Okay. Uh, class uh, leaders should remember to get your answer keys. Orla, did they get? Where's Orla? Yeah. Huh? If you didn't get your answer keys, take them from Orla, okay? People leading the, the classes. Okay. All right, we'll do a prayer. You ready? Thank you.